mate. It's good to be together. And I want to share with you uh, something this morning that I'm simply calling shaken and stirred. Shaken and stirred. Um, if you're a fan of the Bond movies, then you will know that whenever Agent 007 orders a vodka martini, he will always ask for it to be shaken, not stirred. Now, apparently, the reason for this, apart from, um, from it suiting Bond's sort of cool image as a man with impeccable uh, mastery of culinary um, etiquette, uh, the real reason, apparently, is um, because when the drink is in the shaker, the shaking melts the ice, thereby diluting the alcohol and no doubt enabling Bond to keep a clear head for the mission that he is on. Well, in all honesty, it probably doesn't make a blind bit of difference whether it is stirred, not shaken, shaken and stirred, or neither stirred nor shaken. Probably doesn't make any difference whatsoever, but if you've got some martini and vodka, you might like to play around and see if there's any real difference. But according to the Collins uh, English Dictionary, the definition of shaken, not stirred, is this. If someone has been shaken but not stirred by an experience, you mean that they have been slightly disturbed by it, but not deeply enough to change their behavior or their way of thinking. Um, let me give you a biblical illustration. In the book of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, the wise men came in search of the place where Jesus had been born. And they went to King Herod. And they asked him, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. Well, Herod was just like all the other kings in biblical times. He was insecure, always looking over his shoulder because invariably they lived in fear that someone else would come and depose them. So when Herod heard the news from the wise men, that there was a new king in town, the Bible says he was greatly troubled. In fact, it puts it like this. King Herod was shaken to the core when he heard this. Not only he, but all of Jerusalem was disturbed when they heard the news. Herod was shaken and stirred. He was shaken by the news that a new king was in town and he was stirred into the terrible action of having every boy in Bethlehem of two years of age and under put to death because he wanted to eliminate any threat to his reign. Now, just thinking about ourselves, I really believe that we are now in a time where God wants his church to be both shaken and stirred. If this pandemic has taught us anything, it is that the church needs to be turned inside out. We need to take our eyes off of ourselves 
and start to see the world that God loves and that God wants to bring his salvation to through the good news of Jesus. So as I thought about this, I thought, what does the Bible teach us about being shaken and stirred? First thing that the Bible teaches us is that we must shake the salt. Okay, we must shake the salt. Now, in the passage that Mary read so beautifully to us uh, this morning, the final verse, verse 13, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Matthew 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. How often have we sung that lovely song by Chris Tomlin? You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I am loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Do you recognize it? Sure you do. Okay. Have you ever sung, I am the salt of the earth. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. <coughs> I bet you've never sung that. Maybe one of you, maybe one of you should uh, compose a song with that truth. Um, because it's so easy for us to become very self-indulgent in God's love for us that we can forget the world and our mission to reach the lost. Now, on Tuesday night in our prayer meeting, Sanjay just reminded us of the fact that if salt stays in the salt shaker, it eventually goes stale and musty and it's of no valuable use. And as I was thinking about this word, that really inspired something in me, that thought. And it reminded me of a book that was written many years ago by a lady called Rebecca Manley Pippert. And she wrote this book called Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. It's a great book all about evangelism being a way of life. And I'm going to introduce you to Rebecca uh, in a little while via a video. But we are called to be the salt of the earth. But we need to get out of the salt shaker of inhibition and fear and into the lives of those people who need to hear the good news of Jesus. Now, this lovely book that uh, Rebecca Mandy Pippa wrote, um, there were some comments by some people Tico Rice, a great evangelist, he made this comment about the book. He said, I read this book as a teenager when I'd just become a Christian. It helped me to see that evangelism is a privilege rather than something you wouldn't even dare to do to your dog. Think about it. Some Christians wouldn't even talk to their dog about Jesus, let alone talk to their neighbor. And uh, Eugene Peterson who uh, was the guy who wrote the Message Bible, he made this comment about her book. He said, at this moment in our history, when popular spiritualities are eroding everything distinctive and unique about Jesus and about following Jesus, Becca Mandy Pippert does it again. She gives us a fresh impetus and clarity to the great privilege and urgent task of evangelism. Both those people who wrote comments about the book used the phrase that evangelism is a privilege. You see, Jesus has called every one of us to be missional. 
And when he left the earth, he said to his followers, as you know, go and make disciples of all nations. We understand that to be the Great Commission. Why is it often we regard it as the Great Suggestion? Because that's invariably how it seems to pan out. I'll tell you why we think of the Great Commission as more like the Great Suggestion. First of all, because of fear. You see, the real enemy of sharing our faith very often is fear. We feel that our friends and our colleagues or our acquaintances might reject us. They might marginalize us if we share our faith or we might lose their friendship. And often we fear that our beliefs might be challenged. But you know, the Bible says that God is love. And those who live in love live in God. And such love has no fear because perfect love expels fear. And really, if we know that assurance of God's love for us and God's love in our lives and God's love for those who do not know him personally, then that will help us to overcome this fear factor that often seems to inhibit us. Another reason why sometimes we see the Great Commission as the Great Suggestion is perhaps inadequacy. We don't have a strong confidence in the gospel or what happens if somebody asks me a very awkward question? How can I I'll come up with a credible answer? <clears throat> I remember many years ago in Southampton, we had a lovely man who was the Southampton City Missioner. His name was Oscar Penhero. And what he did day in, day out was simply go around knocking on people's doors, talking to them about Jesus. We don't get many people doing anything like that nowadays. <clears throat> but this was what Oscar was called to do. And I remember when Janice and I moved to Southampton some 45 years ago, he turned up on the door and introduced himself to Janice and said, Janice said, well, I'm a Christian. He said, oh, wonderful. And that was the beginning of a lovely friendship with him over many years. But there was one occasion when he was taken into hospital, seriously ill, and he needed a blood transfusion. And he was there receiving this blood transfusion. And one night the nurse came around and checked on him and uh, just to make sure everything was OK. And he simply turned to her and he said, nurse, isn't blood a wonderful thing? And she said, oh, yes, it is. And then he said, did you know the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses you from all sin? Oscar was one of those sort of people who could bring Jesus into every conversation. Now, we're going to see a video now by the lady who wrote this book, uh, Be Becca Mandy Pipper. Uh, she's being interviewed by Timothy Keller, who probably you will have heard of, a lovely Christian man, a pastor in America. He's asking her some pertinent questions. And He's asking her how we can bring Jesus into conversations, because often we feel very inadequate. We're in a conversation about this, that or the other. But how can we bring Jesus meaningfully into that conversation? Well, let's just watch this video for a moment. Thank you, sweetheart. Yeah. Here's a question for Becky and. Um... Well, let me just lay it out. And there's there's another way to phrase this, but maybe I don't need to. Uh, so, what are give us three or four ways that you could turn 
a conversation toward Christ. Let's say you're having a conversation with somebody <laughs> and there hasn't been, I, I think probably, hopefully you understand that in the beginning if you're developing a friendship, you're just hoping that the conversation rather naturally or uh, uh, will just turn to Christ or Christianity or religion. There's a million ways it could happen. But let's just say it just hasn't happened. And you would like to take a little initiative. How would you do it, Becky? One of the things that is important is understanding the use of questions in a conversation. First thing you need to find out is what is this person's passion? What is their interest? What are they really passionate about? And we don't do this as a trick. We don't do it manipulatively. But we really ask questions. We're curious. We want to know. They're a doctor. Yeah, how did you get into medicine? What made you um, decide? What is your area of specialization? As and again, this has to be sincere. If it's a trick so you can slip in the gospel, it's not going to work. They can smell it. But as you're asking, let's use the example of a doctor. All right, so you're asking questions. One skill that we need is to ask the, um, what, how would I call it, the thought-provoking question, the issue question. For example, remembering now we're dealing with their area of interest. How do you give hope to patients who are terminal? All right, now we're dealing with their area of interest, but that's a thoughtful, reflective question. I find if you can ask that question, a God question really is pretty easy. Uh, do you think it's possible that, um, that, there, that this life isn't the only life. And we're talking about how do we get into conversations now. We're not talking about how do I then give them the gospel. I was talking to a, um, uh, a student who was studying art in England. <clears throat> and um, or this might have been America, actually. I think it was America. And I, yeah, it was, it was America. I said, what's your major? She said, art. I said, what kind of art do you like? What do you do? And she was telling me all the different things that she likes to do. And then I said, how do you think, where do you think we get our ability to appreciate what is beautiful and what is ugly? I said, I had a professor, a biology professor at university, who began every lecture saying, man is nothing more than a meaningless piece of protoplasm, a fortuitous concourse of atoms. Every day, that's how we began the lecture. And I said, do you think a fortuitous concourse of atoms would have the ability to appreciate beauty? She said, I can't believe I've never asked myself that question. She said, I'm going to make a living at creating beauty, and I've never asked myself, where, does, where do we get that ability? She said, well, where do you think we get the ability? What do you think? And I said, do you think it's possible there is an invisible artist who created us from where, from whence beauty comes. In other words, just asking questions about their area of interest can actually lead into a God question. I thought that was really helpful because often we're in conversation and we think, how can I bring Jesus into this conversation? But Discovering a person's area of interest, whether it's their job or something that they're passionate about, that can be a very natural way to open up a conversation. Sometimes we can feel inadequate simply because 
we're not thinking in the right way. But if we can think in those kind of ways, that might help us in overcoming our hesitancy. But then something else that, of course, overcomes this struggle that sometimes we find with sharing our faith is, of course, a lack of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Acts 1a, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people everywhere about me. You see, if we don't get our salt out of the salt shaker, then it becomes stale. And Jesus said in uh, Matthew 5.13, what good is salt if it has lost its flavour? It's useless. It will be of no value whatsoever. So we've got to start shaking, if I can use that phrase. We need to sometimes start at home with our family and with our friends, those who are nearest and dearest. We don't fear being rejected by them because they're family. We don't feel fear being marginalized and ostracized by them because they're family. But if we can have the confidence to speak into their lives, the love of Jesus and not to hold back, then we're getting our salt out. Glenn Barrett, who is the national leader of Assemblies of God, he tweeted this a statement this week which made me really sit up and think he said this parents who treat church as optional shouldn't be surprised when their children treat Jesus as unnecessary let me say that again parents who treat church as optional shouldn't be surprised when their children treat Jesus as unnecessary as parents, we are to be an example to our children. We are to bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That's what the Bible teaches us. And as parents, we are to be constantly being salt and light to our children. And if we fail in the home, then they're going to grow up thinking, well, Jesus is not necessary in my life. I don't need to follow him. I don't need to put my trust in him because my parents don't seem to make it a big deal. Some parents are not very good at being salt in their own home, but that's where it's got to start, in our own community, so that people around about us know who we are and what we stand for. And through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, we can be that because Jesus promised that that is what the Holy Spirit would enable us to do. So we need to live out the saltiness that God has placed inside of us. So shaken and stirred, we need to start to shake the salt. But secondly, we must stir the gift. 2 Timothy 1 verse 6, from what Perry read to us, Paul says, I remind you to stir up the gift which God has placed within you through the laying on of my hands. Very interesting because the next verse says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. That's familiar, isn't it? That's our verse for this year that we're carrying with us. But the immediate verse before it, Paul is saying, stir up the gift. 
that God has placed within you. Now, this follows on a little bit from what I was saying last Sunday, talking about our shape and the fact that God has given gifts to each and every one of us. Paul says in Romans 12, it is by his grace that God has given us different gifts to do certain things well. How easy it is for a gift to lie dormant within us. Paul recognized this, and so he simply said to Timothy, stir it up. Stir that gift up that you've got. In other words, use it or lose it, if I can use that phrase. And God wants to shake us and stir us because he desires to pour out his spirit upon his church so that the church will be revived and then be able to make an impact with his love upon our world. We have said that on the 27th of June, we are going back to church. I don't like that phrase. I believe that on the 27th of church, we are going forward to revival. We're not going to be going back. We've got to be a people who are going forward into what God has got for us and to be a church that impacts and makes a difference to our world. Now, Paul used a very unique word when he said to Peter, to, put, to Timothy, stir up the gift. It's the only time this word is used in the Greek New Testament, and the Greek word is anazopyrio. Anna literally means again. And zopyrio literally means to stir up a fire. That's why often in other translations of the Bible, it says fan into flame the gift that is placed within you. He's literally saying, you know, get it burning, get it bright, make sure that it is a strong flame continually in your heart and life. How often in my ministry have I met Christians who once were burning bright for Jesus, but somehow they are now just a glowing ember? I remember hearing a story many, many years ago about a young man who was part of a church, but the pastor one day noticed that over a few weeks he'd stopped coming to the prayer meeting. And so one day he went round to visit him and the young man opened the door a little bit reluctantly and he thought, yeah, I'm in for a telling off. And so they went in, it was winter time and they sat down by the fire and the young man braced himself for a telling off by the pastor and being told, why aren't you showing up? But the pastor said nothing. But what he did do, he took a pair of tongs and he put a, took a glowing coal out of the fire and placed it in the hearth and sat in silence. And gradually, little by little, that glowing coal <coughs> gradually went cold and black. And the young man got the message. He realized that when he disconnected himself from the body of Christ, when he disconnected himself from fellowship with brothers and sisters, when he disconnected himself from being committed and joining with others to pray, then he would gradually go cold and become a dying ember. You see, all of us have to maintain our own walk with Jesus, but there is gifts that he's placed within us that are to burn brightly so that they make a difference to the world that is around about us. And unless we stir them, fan them, they can so easily become neglected and die out and become useless. 
You cannot live a Christian life on autopilot. We have to maintain our relationship with God. And that often requires a constant stirring of my relationship and walk with him. So what are we stirred to do as we just come to an end and then go into breakout groups? Well, I believe we are stirred to consistently pray. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, never stop praying. We need to continue that conversation with God on a daily basis, but also connect with our brothers and sisters in prayer. So our, our prayer triplets that we introduced, 310cc, that's just an important way to connect and to pray with others. When two or three agree together, things happen. And that is an important relationship. Joining the prayer meeting, taking those opportunities to constantly pray. It is so important. And as I said earlier, when Janice and I went down last night to the beach, we'll often go down there simply to sit and pray together. Prayer is so important. And the Bible says, never stop praying. Pray without ceasing. We need to maintain that relationship with the Lord because it is a vital lifeline. We need to stir it. We need to stir, be stirred to hear and obey what God is saying. What is God saying today? You see, when trouble erupts in Israel, as it has done just recently, so often it's a signpost in terms of bigger things that are happening in God's world. And we need to prophetically hear and understand what God is saying to us and to our world at this time through all things. This pandemic hasn't just happened by accident. There is something that God wants to do in and through it, even though it's tragic in many ways. God is sovereign. He's overall. And we need to be people who are hearing and obeying and understanding what the Spirit of God is saying to the church in these days. In Hebrews 3, verse 6 and 8, it says, we are God's church. And this is why the Holy Spirit says, if only you would listen to his voice this day, don't make him angry by hardening your hearts. It says elsewhere in the book of Revelation, those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. We need to be stirred to hear and obey and understand God's word for us today. And then we need, of course, to be stirred to be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that God has got big plans for our church? Some of you do. Well, he's a big God. And a big God always has big plans. He's got big plans for our church. So we've got to think big. Think big, not small. Think big because God can do way beyond anything we can ask or imagine or even think of and we've got to be people who think big who believe big who expect big because we serve a big God and that comes out of being filled with the Holy Spirit as we're constantly filled with the Holy Spirit we capture the heart of God the vision of God the plan and purpose of God for us God wants us to flourish by the power of his Holy Spirit. So we need to be a people who are shaken and stirred, shaking the salt, stirring the gift, so that we can see many people come into a living relationship with Jesus Christ.